So if you guys have been following along in this Advent series, you will know that the first in this series was Tony talking about this O Holy Night. And if you can see on the graphic behind me, you have this very serene, peaceful setting, but up in the top corner, you see a dragon. So he compared Luke 2 to Revelation 12, where the dragon is set and fixed on devouring the woman. Because the thing is, is when Jesus came down, this was the beginning of the end for the enemy. Like they sang in the song, the only reason we can even see a victory is because the victory has already been won. And what we're looking at here is as Satan was defeated and as death was defeated, he got very, very desperate. And so that moved us into Scott's message where one of the tactics that the enemy used because he was so desperate and wanted to take as many people down with him is he tried to deceive us. But Scott showed us how in that deception we are not actually deceived. We go from being deceived to being delivered. And today I'm going to talk to you about Satan as the accuser. How we can go from accused to righteous. And what he tries to do in these accusations is to get us to believe and to think things that are not true and to stay in those lies and live in those lies and operate out of those lies. So I'm going to give you three accusations that specifically were very key in my life and in me destroying my life. But before I do, I'm reminded of a story that I read from one of my favorite authors. He had a friend who was a Navy SEAL. And a friend told him about an operation that they did in one of the dark parts of the world where they stormed a building and their goal was to set these hostages who were American citizens free. And so they were able to storm the building and they got to the room where these hostages were held and they got into the room and they were standing in the doorway and they saw an absolute horrific scene. You see, these hostages have been staying in this room for several months. This is where they ate, this is where they slept, but this is also where they had to use the restroom. So they were living in this filth, in this disgusting dirt and mess. But their liberators came, and as they were standing in the doorway, they said, we are Americans. We are here to set you free, and we are here to take you home. And so you think the story would end right there and they would get up and follow their liberators out. But what they did is they hunkered in a corner and they were shaking and they wouldn't even look at the Navy SEALs. Because what had happened is they started to believe that that is where they belonged, that the filth that they were living in was their reality. They believed it so much that they wouldn't follow the ones who were there to liberate them. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the accusations that were in my life. The first accusation of that, Matt Chandler said it comes from a wound or a word. You see, as you're growing up, you have so many people that come into your life, and they will either do actions against you or speak things over you. And unfortunately, because we are all broken human beings, somebody in your life, whether it was when you were a child or as recent as a month ago, has spoken some word over you that is not true. Somebody in your life has done something to you and wounded you in a way that you cannot get away from that wound. 
And what the accuser does is he always brings that back into your mind. And some of the most vulnerable times, he'll say, hey, remember that wound that you were given? That's who you are. Remember that word that your father, your spouse, your best friend, your boss, whatever it was, spoke over you? That is who you are. You see, I had a wound and a word spoken over me as a young child growing up. I had a very strained relationship with my father. And there were wounds that were given to me and there were words that were spoken over me that up until probably about three years ago, I was never really able to be free from. You see, that is what is so powerful about this accusation is the enemy uses the people that we love the most to accuse us and speak things over us that aren't even true. And that is not even their intention. Most of the time, they don't even realize that they are doing it. But then we live out of this reality, out of this hurt, and out of this pain of what somebody spoke over us, and it just isn't true. You see, the next accusation that I experienced through the majority of my life was that of doubt. The enemy is going to try to get you to doubt everything. So with me, it was, I doubt whether or not I am able to know the Word of God. I doubt whether or not I'm able to stand on the Word of God. I doubt whether or not I can share the Word of God. And that is an accusation that I've been dealing with ever since I told Tony that I would even do this message. Was the enemy accusing me of saying, hey, you're not, Scott and Tony get paid for this. You, you can't really do this. This is their job. Why don't you leave it to them? You don't really have anything important to say. And so that was an accusation that just recently, even as early as this morning, I had to try to speak against. Another way that he is going to get you to try to doubt is he will try to get you to doubt the very foundation of our faith, which is the word of God. Scott did such a great job last week talking about how the very first tactic that the enemy used in Genesis 3 was questioning the word of God. I mean, he said right there to Eve, he said, did God really say that? Is that, is that really what he meant? And guys, what happens is we start to believe that. And we start to think that maybe God really didn't mean this. And Satan is so clever in the way that he does it. It's even in his name, his strategy that he uses. In the Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew, Lucifer, Hallel, means light bearer. He doesn't come at you in this obvious way with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. He was an angel of light, and so what he does and what he can do is mimic the light of God. He can look like peace, he can look like hope, he can look like joy, he can look like happiness, but what he does is he twists it just a little bit, just enough that it gets you going off track to the point where you have no hope, you have no peace, you have no joy, and you are in a place of emptiness and a place of darkness. Scott talked about how the lions would stay by the watering hole and hide in the grass, and that was such an apt description of what Satan does. The lion doesn't just sit out there and say, hey, I'm a lion, I want to eat you. He makes it look like it's something that's very safe. And we have that all over our culture. 
Guys, in, in social media, in television, in movies, everything, it is, it is pushing this message that sounds good, this message that sounds right. But I don't want you to think that just because somebody has a following on Instagram or because they have a, a lot of likes on TikTok that what they say is going to be truth. And just because somebody might have a master of divinity does not mean that they are speaking the truth of the word of God. Just because I'm up here, and just because Scott and Tony are your pastors, that doesn't mean that they are going to speak the truth of the word of God. You need to know it. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you the truth of the word of God as you study it. Don't just assume that everybody who says something and has a few verses to back it up is telling you something that is true. Satan is always trying to get us to doubt to doubt ourselves in what Christ made us for and to doubt the word of God. The third way that he came against me with an accusation was with my identity. And this one is so powerful because it is at the core of who we are. It is what we are made and created to be and our soul longs and yearns to be in communion with our creator so we can know how we were designed and be able to live that way. But Satan comes in and he twists it again just a little bit. You see, he accuses us at our very core in a way that's really popular right now is he takes our desires. You see, what we have done is we have taken our desires, and I still struggle with this. We have taken our desires and what we may want and what we may feel and because it is inside of us and it feels so core to us, we say, well, this is my identity. This is who I am because this is what I desire. This is who I am because this is what I want. It's the whole Disney theology that Becky and I talked about earlier this summer. Disney is always telling you, you need to follow your heart. You need to be true to who you are. But guys, the prophet Jeremiah, he spoke differently to that. Jeremiah said in, in Jeremiah chapter 17 that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so what are we going to do with this barrage of all of these influencers, these people with masters of divinity, every television show we watch, everything we stream on Netflix, it's all telling us, follow your heart, be true to yourself, follow your heart. It actually reminds me of, there's a, a girl I read about, I think it was 10 or 12 years ago. She was a Russian. She was born November 4th, 1983, which is actually my exact birth date. Her name was Oksana Malaya. But she had a much different upbringing than I did. You see, she had parents who were alcoholics. And at the age of three, her parents cared more about the bottle than they did about their daughter. And so they basically abandoned her. And she was raised from the time she was three until she was around between seven and nine. I've seen some different accounts of when. But for a significant amount of time, she was raised by feral dogs. And being in that environment around those feral dogs, it changed the way that she thought. It changed the way that she acted so much so that she actually believed and acted and operated like she was a dog. She could not speak. She walked on all fours. I've even watched videos of her. She had tics like a dog, and she had to go through so much therapy to be able to get to a point where she 
could speak and talk and act and interact like a human being. So what, what do we do if that girl was around just feral dogs, right? I mean, dogs are intelligent. I'm not trying to insult the intelligence of dogs, but they're still not as intelligent as human beings, most human beings. <laughs> so if a pack of dogs can make Axana believe that she is something that she is not, She was created for a purpose, but a pack of dogs that she was with made her think that she was something totally different than what she was. Then what hope do we have? Because we are dealing with an enemy that is so much stronger, smarter, more powerful, and more patient than we ever are. So if she can't handle dogs, how are we going to handle the enemy? You see, guys, in those three accusations, he's using the people that we love against us. He's taking the word of God, the very foundation of our faith, and he's taking that out from under us and getting us to doubt. And then he goes deep within our core for what we were created to be, and he gets us to question our very identity and try to attach our identity to things that they shouldn't be attached to. So we get off course and we are not looking at Christ. What hope do we have? Three years ago, when God really started getting a hold of my heart, and as a result, thankfully, getting a hold of just the trajectory of our family and our home, there were three things that he brought into my life that helped me to remove myself further away from the enemy and further away from these accusations. And the strategy there was to embrace. And so I want to give you three things to embrace to counteract these accusations that he comes at us, comes at us with. The first thing to embrace the people of God. Guys, we were made for community. First and foremost, we were made to commune with our Heavenly Father. But we were also made to commune with each other. Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are supposed to do life together. And not only do life together, we need accountability built into our life. When my family was on the brink of collapse three years ago, one of the first things that happened is men were brought into my life. Community was brought into my life, and they provided accountability for me. I've been listening to this really popular pod podcast right now. It's about a church that was out in Seattle really big, prominent church, and had a very well-known pastor, and it ended up six or seven years ago just shutting its doors, and it seemed like overnight this church fell apart, but as you hear more and more of the story, you see that it was going on for years, and the thing that stuck out to me the most, that this leader who was at the, the forefront and the top of the church had nobody he submitted to and had no accountability and so without any accountability and without believers and a community around him that he was willing to fall under their leadership and authority as a community, he ended up damaging so many lives and damaging the cause of Christ. My brother, my older brother Josh, he tries to always cultivate three relationships in his life. And he was telling me about this, and I tried to do this, and I'm not always able to. But he says there are three relationships that you need in community. 
The first one is he says, I try to find somebody who is further along in their journey and in their faith than I am so that they can help mentor me and pull me to a place closer to where Jesus is. He says, the second is I try to have people around me that are in the same place in life and the same place in their journey in faith, so like iron sharpening iron. And then the third thing is he says, I always try to find somebody that I can pour into and find somebody that I can help bring up to the point where I am. And I think that's a good thing to follow because in that you have accountability and you also are pouring yourself into somebody else and serving and it helps keep your focus off of yourself and off of your surroundings and where it should be, which is on God. The second thing that I needed to embrace was the word of God. You see, Satan tries to get us to doubt our foundation, which is the word of God, but we as believers can actually embrace the truth of the word of God. He tried to use it against Jesus in the wilderness, right? And Jesus came back with the truth of the word of God. Satan had it twisted just enough, but Jesus came back with the truth. The word of God is the only thing. The word of God with the Holy Spirit has the power to change us, and it has the power to help us to defeat and resist the enemy. Tony talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2. He talked about presenting our body as a living sacrifice. And in verse 2, I love it says, to do this by renewing your mind. And you renew your mind through the word of God. In Philippians 4, 8, it talks about finally whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, if any of these are virtuous or praiseworthy, Paul tells the believers in Philippians to think on these things, to allow the word of God to transform your mind and heart. And that was one of the second things that God brought into my life when my family was on the verge of collapse. Thankfully, Becky and I went to counseling. And what they did with us, they said, okay, we have an exercise for you guys. We want you to go through Ephesians and we want you to write down all the things that you are, not because of you, but because of Christ. What has Christ done in you and because of what he did on the cross, what are you now? And I went through really quickly as I was preparing for this and just wrote down 12 of them in the first few verses, but it's pretty powerful what they are. First, you're in Christ. And he says, you are blessed in verse four. He says, you're chosen You are holy and blameless before him. You're predestined. You're adopted. You're sons and daughters. You're redeemed. In verse 7, it says you're forgiven. In 13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. In 5, we are alive, alive with Christ, and we are saved by grace. And so as I started to allow the truth of the word of God to wash over me and to permeate my thinking, that allowed my heart to soften to more things that God was able to show me, you are believing this accusation, you are believing a lie. You know, Scott did a great job of talking about how we need to know the word of God better than the enemy, and I would say let's even take it a step further, because I know plenty of people that know the word of God probably better than I ever will, and they're so lost, and they're so blind. And they only use the word of God to support whatever it is they want or try to use the word of God against you to show that, oh, it isn't accurate, there are too many errors. 
Not only do we need to know and study the Word of God, but we need to allow the Word of God to change our mind, our thinking, and our hearts. And as we allow the Word of God to permeate us, what we need to do is follow it and submit to it, even the parts that we're like, okay, but did God really, was that really what he meant? Your creator knows how you were designed to operate. And he has shown you this in his word. And so when we embrace the word of God and follow it, it then allows us as believers to become closer and more conformed to Christ. The last thing that I needed to embrace were the accusations. All of these accusations that I told you about, what I had to do was embrace them because Satan is telling us that we are incapable of doing this on our own, that we are so broken, we are so sinful, we are so selfish, we are so arrogant, and the thing is, he's right. We are. If you look in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus is telling a parable. And this is about a tax collector and a Pharisee, and they both go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee goes up to the front where everybody can see him. And he prays loudly so everybody can hear him. And you know what he thanks God for? He says, Lord, I'm so thankful that I am such a good follower of you. I'm thankful that I follow the law. I'm thankful that I keep the Sabbath. I'm thankful that I know the Torah. And he knows the tax collector is there. And he says, you know, and I'm thankful that I'm not like that terrible tax collector. And then you have the tax collector who doesn't even come to the front because he doesn't feel worthy to go up to the front of the temple. And he is back towards the back with his head down, banging his chest, saying, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me. And at the end of that parable, Jesus asks, which one do you think was forgiven? Just like Tony talked about when he read Ephesians 2, we were so dead in our trespasses to sin. Guys, we were dead, but we have been made alive in Christ. Now, I asked Becky and Mike to come up here and sing a song. The words are going to be up on the screen, but I don't want you to sing along because this is just for the power of this message. There's a, a, a group of two guys that Becky and I like. Their name is Shane and Shane. And some of their music, if you haven't heard it, you should check it out. It's very rich and deep. This song came to us probably about seven or eight years ago. When I was going through this message, I think the Lord brought this to my mind. I realized this is so perfect. So listen to the words and pay attention to the words in this song. I'll come back up after the song and I'll go ahead and close us out. But just sit with it. Sit with the truth of what the song is saying. Oh 
from saying, cursed are the ones who can't abide. But he's right. the father of lies be telling the truth of God to me tonight if the penalty of sin is death then death is mine I hear him saying cursed are the ones who can
So where are you today? Are you doubting the truth of the word of God? Are you believing in a wound and a word that was spoken over you? Are you thinking that your identity is something that is not rooted and founded in Jesus Christ? You see, those captives that those Navy SEALs came to free, they believed their identity was in that room and in that filth. But the great thing is there's a second part to that story. The friend that told the author about what happened here, he had an idea. And so he took off his goggles. He gave his gun over to one of the other seals. And then he went over where they were, huddled down in the corner in their own filth, and he sat down right beside them. And he got so close to them that he could hear them breathing and their shoulders and their arms were touching each other. And he just waited until their eyes rose to meet his eyes. And he let them see the kindness in his face and he let them see the kindness in his eyes and he let them see that because he came down and he was like them and one of them that they could then trust him. And he whispered in a soft voice, he said, we are Americans. We are here to set you free. Will you follow me? And one of the hostages gently shook her head. And he stood up. And the other hostage stood up. And then one by one, every single hostage stood up. And they followed those Navy SEALs out of that room. Out of that filth and that bondage that they were in and out of that building onto the chopper and they were able to be back on the aircraft carrier reunited with their family and living in freedom no longer in bondage. You see guys, that is the gift. We were deceived, we are constantly accused but what Jesus does, like the song said, he took what the enemy meant for evil and he used it for good. He takes these three accusations the people that we love the most, that we give the most power over us, that give us a wound or speak a word that isn't true, he then says, okay, I will give you my people and my bride. And we have the people of God that can speak truth over us. When he has us doubting the very foundation of our faith, which is the word of God, he says, I will use my word to wash over you and to change your thinking and to change your heart and to change your life. And then when he gets us the enemy to question our identity, to make us think that we are wretched and we are broken, Jesus says, you're right, you are. But I came so that I could save you and free you from that. He takes every tactic of the enemy and he uses it for his glory and he uses it for our good as they go into this closing song, I just want you to also think about it. It's the same one that Scott closed with last week. And it says, a better word was spoken. What words are you allowing the enemy and the accuser to speak over you? Because Jesus offers a better word. 
You may say, look, I've done some terrible things. Some people are broken, but I'm really broken. He paid for that. You may say, look, I've done some filthy, horrible things, and I am living in my own filth because of my choices. Well, just like that Navy SEAL, Jesus came down, and he was one of us in the sense that he took on the form of humanity, and he lived a perfect life. And then he gave up his life willingly so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. So please, please, if you have not embraced those accusations and said, yes, I was this, but Jesus saves and put your trust in the work that Jesus has done, I beg you, do it now. When she starts playing Come Forward, Scott, Tony, or I can pray with you. Guys, we love you so much. And I just wish that every single person here and every single person online could understand how freeing and beautiful it is to live a life in surrender to Jesus Christ and not in bondage to anything else.